It's time to go from surviving to thriving. This is the podcast where we give you the encouragement to change your life. Welcome to Vulnerable Moments with Jovan J. Palmer. No longer will you feel ashamed, unseen, and unheard. Get vulnerable, become courageous, and be free. And now your host, Jovan J. Palmer. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another edition of Vulnerable Moments, the podcast. I'm your host, Joe Von J. Palmer. And as always, we have amazing people on the podcast sharing their most transparent and vulnerable moments. As always, we have special guests on who come and share. You good? Yeah. Sure. Yeah, I'm good. All right. <laughs> what well, was to get into it? Introduce yourself, let people know who you are, where you're from, and we're going to jump into this podcast. Absolutely. My name is Shelly Robbins. Um, I am originally from Las Vegas. I moved here to Atlanta about a year and a half, two years ago, and made a, just wanted to make a huge change in my life. Had some things going on, so I've been adjusting here in Atlanta. Um, I am a corporate recruiter by day, but the beginning of this year, I have partnered with the number one luxury brand, Jacalo. As you can see, where we empower you to be yourself and walk in your truth. Let's start there. All right. Empowering you to be yourself and walk in your truth. That's like the hardest thing for individuals to do. Absolutely. And I was reading, it's crazy you asked me where this because I was looking at, I think online on Instagram about your brand, y'all had a video or something to go in. So tell me about the name Jacalo because it's a dope name. Jacalo breaks down to Jaunty Captivating Love. So it's an acronym, J-A-C-A-L-O. Jaunty Captivating Love means, Jaunty means somebody who is vibrant, fashionable, who has good energy, and they put it out into the world. And when they put that out, we're going to captivate that same love back. Mm. So walking in that truth of that high energy, being confident in who you are, fashionable, because we are a clothing apparel brand, and um, putting it out there and just attracting that energy right back to you. Okay. So that's where the name stems from. Got you. So you mentioned the brand is pretty much to help you just, been, just pretty much just be yourself. How has, have you ever been a time in your life where you just, it was hard for you to just be you? Absolutely. Um, I think the majority of my life, I have been trying to live up to other people's expectations, uh, not just what society standards are, but just in a close reference to my family and friends and people pleasing my way through life. And although there may be indications that um, I, I may have thought I knew what I wanted or who I was, it was very hard for me to be able to give that out to the world and walk in that truth. So I did what I felt was needed in order to be accepted. And so, yeah. Gotcha. So, you were born and raised in Vegas? Yes. So, let's go back to your Vegas days of 100 and some odd weather. <laughs> yeah, it's hot. It's hot. But <laughs> a few months out of the Vegas out of the played year. me. I was just in Vegas for like five days. Yeah. And it's it a good was. Good time right now. What? It should be November. It's cold. Oh. <laughs> Global warming. I like, don't know. <laughs> freezing. And I'm like, yo, it's never this cold in Vegas. I go to Vegas at least about once a year because my best yeah. friend lives there, her and her husband. They're expecting um, my little, new little niece. I'm, like, super excited. Nice. But Vegas is cool. I've seen North Las Vegas. I've seen the Strip. I've seen, you know, West Vegas, East Vegas. So I've been all around now. What part of Vegas are you from, and what was it like growing up in Vegas? So I actually grew up in a small city for the first, like, 10, 11 years of my life called Boulder City, okay. which is the small little town heading towards the dam. Okay. Um, and then when I was about 11, going into junior high, I moved to Henderson. 
Heard, so yeah, I, okay. yeah, I grew yeah, up yeah. in Henderson. Uh, my adolescent years were in Henderson. And then as I grew up and became an adult, I had moved in. I, I lived all over Vegas at some point. Okay. So yeah, but Henderson, I would say I'm from, but a lot of people don't know where that's from, where that's at. So yeah. I just say Vegas. Okay, gotcha. Yeah. So what was the best part about growing up in Vegas? <laughs> um, the best part, man, I... I don't know. There's a lot going on in Vegas, Absolutely. you know, but I realize now not living there, the standard it sets, that expectation is not met really anywhere else in, you know, at least in most cities that I have visited. So it's kind of disappointing once leaving some of the expectations that are set, but it, it's wild. It's always on. It's 24 mm-hmm. seven. There's something always going on. That's how I enjoy about Vegas. Yeah. Like, you get this. Cause I was like, we were driving yesterday before they dropped me off to the airport and I'm like, oh, it's a smoothie shop, 24 hours. Yeah. Like you can get some of everything. <laughs> 24 hours. Is there, so with Vegas being a 24-hour city, how much trouble did you get yourself into? Um, I have gotten myself into some trouble. Um, that didn't really come until later on mm-hmm. so much in regards to what the city did to me. Uh, growing up there, it was I was given an opportunity to kind of have free, more freedom than I probably should have been allowed to at a, at a young age. Um, I didn't get into a whole lot of trouble on my own as like a teen or anything like that. I had kids young, but after (laughs) I kind of did a little bit backwards, but after my divorce, I did get into some trouble in Vegas and it really just stems from it not stopping. Like it, you feel like you have to show up and show out no matter where you are, gambling, drinking, drugging. I mean, not that necessarily that I was doing drugs or anything, but that is what Vegas offers. It's an adult playground. Mm-hmm. And so it's very easy to fall into the cracks of getting into some form of trouble. An adult playground. I've never thought about it that yeah. way. They call the strip the Monopoly board. <laughs> really? Yeah. <laughs> I've never heard that before. Yeah. I mean, it makes sense. Yeah. Uh, it makes plenty of sense. <laughs> it's Monopoly. <laughs> right. When you think that, it makes plenty of sense. Yeah. So, <clears throat> 24-7, you've gotten yourself into lots of issues, of course. You said you mentioned you had kids, divorce. Mm-hmm. What was that life like? Um, I had gotten married pretty young. I'd, I had met my ex-husband at 17. We were married. I was married to him at 18, um, and we had three kids kind of just back to back. I had my first at 18, second at 19, third at 22. So by the time I was 22, I was five years deep into a marriage with three kids. And um, I think that kind of stems from the knowing who you are, right? So I was immediately given these titles as mother and wife, and I take huge pride in being a mother and I always have um, but I still don't think I knew me just due to a lot of the issues that I dealt with as a kid um, you know I, I went through a lot of neglect and abuse and things in that nature and I kind of lost myself and not knowing who I was so I latched on to the titles that were being given to me mm. at that point so holding on to those titles did you I'm sure you found yourself losing yourself in those titles like being mom Mm-hmm. and being a wife and being a friend or being a daughter how has it been trying to regain your identity back from all of that so i think you can't lose something you don't have i didn't mm. know who i was at that point i didn't know who shelly was you know at that time so um when i got a divorce at 27 
I immediately, my first thought was to see God. I never had any type of relationship with God. I have never really been spiritual. I always heard God's name either in vain or in some hyper um, fearful moment, you know, where you're praying that something doesn't go wrong. But other than that, God was not in my life. And so when I got a divorce, I remember wanting and seeking to find some form of foundation for myself, but I had no clue what that even looked like, nor did my behavior even match it probably. But I know somewhere deep down inside, that's what I was seeking uh, just because I didn't know myself. And so these past, date myself, I'm 35. So these past eight years almost now, um, it really has been pretty eventful in regards to like pulling back the layers and figuring out who I am and like unlearning Mm. everything that has been placed on top of me yeah so peeling back the layers is never a beautiful thing never it hurts yeah <laughs> it sucks yeah, it i've been there before so like if my fingers were the layers let's start with layer one what was layer one for you I, you know you talked about developing a spiritual life but like what was that layer that that first layer that you had to pull back that was probably hard to pull back that you say you know what i gotta do it I mean, the when I my first initial thought to seek God was because I knew I was kind of like running around trying to fill a void. Um, and I've been trying to fill this void for a very long time. And I didn't really even know what I was filling, really, to be honest, because from the outside, everyone said that I had it together. Um, you know, at that point when I got a divorce, I was single, 27, three kids, but I had a very successful business of my own. I lived in a, a good area. I was drinking, but I was a functional drinker, you know, so I, I was able to manage to keep it all together from the outside. So a lot of people didn't understand that. And I think I fought myself on that, but I had to kind of get real with, okay, the first thing is I need to find a foundation. So I started seeking um, a church to attend, but I didn't want to attend a like I wanted to attend a non-denominational church because I didn't know yeah. what I believed in. And they just so happened to have a celebrate recovery there. So that was my first form of therapy. Mm. Um, I didn't really even go for any usage of alcohol or anything like that. Again, it wasn't really a problem until it was. So at that point I was drinking, but I think it was in my mind an acceptable amount of drinking because I still managed to handle my business mm -hmm. as a mother, as a woman, things in that nature. So I went there more so because I knew I had childhood trauma. I had dealt with a lot of abuse and I could just see it maybe affecting me in some way. So I started going to celebrate recovery and I'm um, just joining the groups there and kind of peeling back certain layers and realizing a lot of things were missing, but that was literally just the surface, the, gotcha. the beginning yeah, of it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So talking about childhood trauma, it's never the easiest thing to get over. I know for me, my traumas, they still haunt me to this day, but I've learned to deal with them and kind of cope with them. Yeah. How are you been dealing with your childhood traumas of abuse and neglect? Um, I realize so much in my own, uh, my mentality and my behaviors now as a grown woman stems back to my childhood. Mm -hmm. um, it's just set on automation. We, I was molded and to believe, you know, certain things about myself at a very vulnerable time of you know, 10, 11, 12 years old and continuing on through my teenage years, I'm impressionable. I don't know who I am. And then I also didn't have the guidance from parents. And also if it was like an outside source of abusing me in some type of way, no one was there to protect me. So I kind of was trying to figure out how 
to maneuver through life and became like survivor mode because it was just me against the world at a very young age and I had a little sister and so it was just like okay how do I protect myself and I think I, I built this shield of you know you can't break me you can't hurt me mm. and really it was like I'm super soft on the inside yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and people took me for something that I wasn't mm -hmm. so trying to break down those barriers and those walls of you know of course probably all that comes with trust issues um lack of you know knowledge of self and everything like that how do you like what was like the first thing that you just wanted or that desire that you wanted to have for yourself that you know when you look back at your childhood and you say if i could change this what would i change i carried around like why the question mm -hmm. why like i felt like i was almost sacrificed um i was the oldest i have a younger sister and then two step siblings that were younger than me as well so i was the oldest and i i kind of felt like i was sacrificed in some sense of like oh we messed up with her let's not do it with the rest mm -hmm. and but no one was there to like guide me and fix anything and i look back on it now and it's I wish I could have changed having some form of positive, healthy mentor of some sort. If it wasn't my mother or my or my dad, somebody mm -hmm. instead of me kind of like blindsided trying to figure it out at such a young age because I didn't know any better. I was yeah. just trying to survive. Fact. And it seemed like the things just continued to happen over and over again. And I wish probably I would I would change the fact of those things happening. Somebody stepping in and probably protecting me from more than what I should have been mm -hmm. endearing at the time. What would you say to your younger self today? <clears throat> mm. um, I would say stay true to who you are. Bring the shield down of trying to wear an armor. Um, stay focused and don't be so vulnerable um, and naive mm -hmm. to individuals. Pay attention to yourself and be self-aware. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. So you mentioned going to, what was it called in the recovery? Celebrate recovery. Celebrate recovery. Yeah. And you didn't go for alcoholism per se. You just kind of went for like just the traumatic things that you've gone through as a child. Yeah. Cause I never got therapy. Mm -hmm. Um, I dabbled in therapy here and there, but not enough. And I knew I needed some sort because I realized after my divorce, I was drinking more than I probably should have been. And I could just feel things coming up. And I wanted to get to the source of it because I was tired of identifying with it. Mm. But it seemed to be like I continued to identify it with it for years after even going to celebrate recovery. But yeah, I think I was tired of that, like being the identifier when it came to who I was, yeah. like, all this trauma. I just wanted to let it go. Mm -hmm. So... You begin drinking more than you sh you say you should have. On a scale of like one to ten, how much were you drinking? Um, I I could throw some. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and that was the thing. It was the like best I, of I, I was I, I'm a fun drunk. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. I, I wouldn't cry. I wouldn't. You know, you weren't dragging me out of nowhere. I could still walking my stilettos and How? you know and so it was kind of hard to decipher on yeah. what was too much because i could still very much function um i think when i realized it was a problem was when i started day drinking uh. and um day drinking and still attempting to work and function and things like that and um where it started affecting my work my mm. kids but that is more so even just like the last few years um during the last relationship i was in so you're out day drinking, 
And what's going through your mind during the day drinking? I just like, you know, just, just want to run away, run away. Um, that's my biggest deal. I've never considered myself an alcoholic. I've mm-hmm. always had a trouble with that. I went to AA for the first time in 2017 and I've been in and out of those doors and I've been in and out of, you know, sobriety that, you know, a month here, a month there or things in that nature. But I've had trouble with that identifier, with that label as an alcoholic, because I never felt addicted to alcohol because mm-hmm. I knew if I didn't feel like drinking, I just I didn't drink. I, did, I was not addicted to alcohol, but I was I realized now I was addicted to escaping mm-hmm. the pain. I wanted to numb myself and I just wanted to feel normal. So I knew I could drink just enough where that sting would be gone and I could just function normally and I don't have this like gray cloud hanging over me but then sometimes I drank too much and that was more so in these last few years gotcha and when did you realize it was too much like you were drinking too much um during my last relationship I was in a very severe violent relationship it did not obviously start like that like most don't Um, but it was, we were day drinking and, you know, it was little things. And I just realized, you know, the pain that was being caused towards me in that relationship and me also feeling stuck. It was again, just a reminder of like, oh, I know what to do to numb this and pretend that this is not my reality and to escape that as my truth. Mm -hmm. So I was drinking all the time. And then when I started I think the reflecting back what that other per you know what my ex was doing to me I feel like it was a reflection within me as far as my drinking and you know I became an ugly person mm-hmm. on the inside which reflected outwards um and I I wasn't happy with myself I didn't like who I was So as a mom how did your alcoholism or did you, do you want to call it alcoholism or do you want to call it something else Um I mean for it's okay. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> okay. So okay. <laughs> how did it affect your children? You know, you got three kids and yeah. you're saying you got that going on, domestic violence going on, and also trying to raise children in the same, under the same roof. Mm-hmm. How is that affecting your children? At the they, don't have, they don't have a present mother. Uh, physically, I was present. And, you know, I've always, for the most part, worked from home. And I've been there physically with my children since birth. Mm-hmm. But mentally and emotionally, I was tapped out. Um, I was trying to survive again, just to continue to survive my day to day responsibilities as a mother. And it just was not connecting on a deeper level. Mm-hmm. And I, that definitely affected them. And they, they witnessed so much, unfortunately. And then um, even after coming to Atlanta, I mean, it's not like I, even after leaving the relationship and coming here to Atlanta, it wasn't like I just quit drinking. Like I'm six months sober today. Oh, congratulations. And so thank you. And It took me to go through coming here to Atlanta and then actually facing myself because it was like, I'm no longer in this relationship, right? And I'm like trying to catch up with myself. Mm. And a lot of it was like, um, I, I would say like taking over my mind and racing thoughts and the emotions attaching to it. And I didn't know if I could handle facing that truth of what I've gone through and what I was doing to myself. Um, until it showed on the outside and I, I end up hurting people, you know, in my life, including my children, 
um, emotionally in some sense or making them feel like they were less than or not important enough for me to be at the best that I could be for them as their mother. So mm -hmm. when I seen that happen, um, I immediately was like, okay, that's enough because it, it affected my oldest, I think, and my oldest son is 16. Mm -hmm. And you know, when he said something to me, that was, that was it. And I went and I checked myself into a rehab in May. So how long were you in rehab? Three weeks. Three weeks. Mm -hmm. And during your time in rehab, what were some of the reflections you were having about yourself or just about life? So I was intentional about what type of rehab I wanted to go to. Because okay. um, again, it wasn't just about substance abuse. It was about the trauma. So I found one that had focused on dual diagnoses that focused on you know, past trauma to overcome and then also whatever substance you chose to use to numb that pain that you had went through. And so it was around the clock therapy. Um, from 8 to 8 p.m. every single day, seven days a week. And wow. when I added it up, it was almost like two years of one-hour sessions put into three weeks. And um, it allowed me to have some self-reflection on myself and I think allowed me to give me a space to let it out, to cry, to push pause on life for a moment without the expectations of being who I am in the world, who I am to my kids, and really just be able to focus on whatever's going on inside me. And I realize like, it's actually not as bad as what I've been trying to run away from. Gotcha. So during these three weeks of intensive therapy, what was one thing that you say, you know what, this is it. This is the, the thing or the coping mechanism I will carry for the rest of my life. Well, I know the one thing, the assignment that we needed to do was called the truth of my addiction. Mm -hmm. And a lot of us are in this victim mentality when we are faced with trauma, and rightfully so to an extent because we were the victim in the situation, right? right? Um, so we're very easily to tell the story of what's going on. We are so quick to tell it from the victim standpoint and not holding yourself accountable. Mm -hmm. And so this assignment of the truth of my addiction was everything opposite of what we normally do. So it was everything, the truth of my addiction and what I did and how I negatively impacted anyone and anything, physically, mentally, emotionally, financially, spiritually, and making this long list and then reading it to about 30 people. Um, that was a pill to swallow. That was very humbling and hard to get through because that was the truth. It wasn't just what was done to me, but now what I've turned around and done to other people or Ooh, have affected people in a negative yeah. way. And I had to accept that. And when I looked at it that way, I never wanted to add anything to that list again. I don't want to hurt anybody. That's not my intention. And so by me not doing so, that means I need to get myself right and, and hold myself accountable to being the woman that I, I want to be. What were a few of those things on the list? Um, I have, mm, I mean, I, I've gotten a DUI. Um, I have hurt family members and friends just verbally, emotionally, physically at times. I have not paid bills in order to go and do other things. I mean, and that's just really be being honest with it, you know, and justifying my actions behind it just because I think I, I, I was allowed to because, you know, whoa, me, all this has happened to me, so I'm allowed to do X, mm, Y, and Z without yeah, any yeah. explanation. And, and no, I'm not. At the end of the day, I'm not because I'm affecting other people. Mm -hmm. You have an amazing story. Yeah. <laughs> and you tell it very well. Thank you. Like, very well. Um, it's detailed and is very vivid. And in its vividness, if that's a word, <laughs> um, I want to go back to your children 
you know, you said what you've gone through has affected them. Have you sat down with them and talked with them? Yeah. <laughs> How was that conversation? Um, we, I have made it a very, very strong point. I mean, throughout their entire life, but especially since we've been here in Atlanta, um, to speak with them often, every single day in depth. And, you know, I, I made sure that they were put into uh, therapy themselves mm-hmm. and that we have an open dialogue and that they can talk to me about how they feel and vice versa. And I can give them that advice. And I can, I, I think it's more so they watch me hold myself accountable and I'm quick to say, you know what, I messed up. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is how I'm going to fix it. And by me giving that example, it allows them that space to do the same. Mm-hmm. Got you. So as a mom, well, I don't know because I'm not a mom, but from what my experience with dealing with women who are moms, they always beat themselves up because they wish they could have done better with their children. Mm-hmm. When was that moment of grace where you said, you know what, I'm going to give myself some grace for doing the best that I could do with what I had? Um, I think that started when I got here to Atlanta, uh, leaving that last relationship for good and knowing for a fact you know and that was my whole point of putting the distance moving from las vegas i mean i hopped in my car and drove across country in the middle of the night and i made i decided to make that change because and i knew i had to put that distance between myself and that other person because it is extremely hard to break a a toxic traumatic bond Mm -hmm. whether you want to be part of it or not so i knew by having two thousand miles in between it would be a lot harder anyways to gain access to me so when i got here um that was when i started to just have that self-reflection my kids stayed in vegas for six months with their dad Mm -hmm. during that time and i was giving myself the grace to kind of feel what i was feeling and find some find a way to plant my feet on the ground um when my kids got here, it was just like, I kind of just had to take it day by day, but it's just been a learning curve. Uh, going to rehab in May, that was really it because I, I really made that shift and that change mm-hmm. 100% and like removing all excuses to not be and show up to be the best mother I could be for them. Yeah, so you showed up as a mom, you showed up for yourself. What's the next show up that you're gonna show up for? Hey, if I can, you know, each one teach one, right? <laughs> if I can show up and impact somebody, that would that would be great. But as long as I, I want to stay in a place as a student and continue to learn mm-hmm. um, and grow as an individual, as a woman, as a mother, and learning to um, not have such a guard up mm. because of things that have happened in the past, I want to be able to embrace myself as a woman and walk in that truth and not feel that I have to play, you know, both sides of the spectrum. Yeah, so bringing down the guard, how was that? Like, you know, was it, especially trying to date again and find love again, and you just don't know what you're getting yourself into because being in a domestic violent relationship, it's like, I'm sure you're on edge with every guy who comes into your space, who may touch you wrong way or look at your way, it's like, you just don't know. How was it pulling that guard down, and or is it even isn't is it even down yet? Um, well, I haven't really like dated or been around a bunch of guys since then. Mm-hmm. Um, I just know that what I won't tolerate. Mm-hmm. You know, I the an individual that is in my life. I mean, it's just kind of it happened naturally, and I think it was based on a friendship 
first. Yeah, yeah. Uh, we had a common we have a common denominator, you know, and there was no expectations of showing up as anything more than just my friend, mm -hmm. um, which it gave me space to trust. I think a man again in some way, shape, or form, yeah, and yeah, it was yeah. just natural. Gotcha. Um, and I think that's what's most important. And I really haven't had the intention of putting myself in a situation to deal with dating mm -hmm. multiple guys or anything like that. So. Gotcha. Okay, so Atlanta. Out of all places from Vegas to Atlanta, <laughs> you got up in the middle. Of <laughs> <laughs> we can go deep in that, but we'll stay right here in Atlanta. Um, you got up in the middle of the <laughs> night and drove 2,000 miles. Did you? Was it straight through? Because it takes about three days. It takes 30 hours. That's, That's straight through. Um, so you're a trooper. So in 2020, when the first time I initially attempted to leave during uh, the pandemic, right before the pandemic. Oh, okay. So it was January of 2020. Okay, okay. I was living in Colorado Springs at the time, and I got my kids in the car, and I drove here to Atlanta because my sister lives here. Okay. And um, pandemic happened, which set me back and pushed me back to Vegas. It just messed up everything, mm -hmm. which ultimately put me right back in that same relationship. Mm. And um, I knew, though, even though physically I was still under the same roof with that person, mentally and emotionally, I'm like, it's just a matter of time. I'm going back to Atlanta. And so in January of 2021, um, the la after the last time he put his hands on me, it was just, that's it. And I called my kid's dad and was like, I need you to take the kids. You know, I really haven't asked you for anything before. I need you to take them. I need six months. And um since my sister lived here, it was just, that's just what it was. Yeah. So my friend jumped in the car with me, so I didn't drive by myself. And we drove almost straight through. We got a room for like five hours in Arkansas somewhere. But other than that, yeah, it was 30-hour drive straight through. Would you do it again? I don't ever want to make that drive again. <laughs> I, have, I have driven that drive, driven that drive three times. I did it twice in 2020. Did I do that? Yeah, twice in 2020 and once in 2021. I have no desire to do that again. Mm -hmm. um, so I'm good. <laughs> I bet. I bet. Oh, man, this is good. This is really good. So where do you see yourself in the next year? I want to see myself um, continuing. Mainly, I it, it's just staying in self-awareness, staying Staying aware of myself, being intentional with my own life, with mm -hmm. the words I speak, with my actions, with who I have in my life, how I conduct myself as a woman and as a mother. Um, and then that way it, it reflects out and opens the opportunities that are meant for me. It's kind of hard to state exactly, you know, I mean, I know as far as the brand goes, mm -hmm. I definitely want that to be more impactful and more influential in that sense, right? Um, as far as you know, my career and things like that, I, I want to make a difference, but I want to do it, you know, on God's time and the way mm -hmm. he sees it for me, because I'm so quick to um, go off of what I believe is best for me. And honestly, that hasn't gotten me into the best situations at times. So I'm just trying to pay attention more. Y'all want to sponsor the episode? How'd I do that? Just shout it out. <laughs> go to jacalo9.com to pick out your favorite hoodies and sweatshirts here and empower yourself to be yourself and walk in your truth. jacalo9.com or on IG at jacalo underscore nine. That's J-A-C-A-L-O underscore nine. Boom. 
I'm going to do a quick commercial. Okay. And then close us out with a word of wisdom and where they can find you specifically at, okay? Okay. So this episode is sponsored by the Emboldened Institute. It is my space where I share that space with you all who need daily encouragement. You can text me the word HEAL or AFFIRMATION to 404-476-6780. That's 404-476-6780. I will text you every day on the dot between 9 and 10 because of the time difference. We've got to switch it back over. But I will text you every day, 365 days a week to help you on your healing journey because it's something that you do not have to do alone. If you choose to do it alone, you should not choose to do it alone because there are millions of people out here and you can just find one. Start with us. 404-476-6780. Text me the word heal or affirmation or text me both back to back. Shelly. You can find me on IG at Shelly Robbins underscore, which is C-H-E-L-L-E-R-O-B-I-N-S underscore. I'm on TikTok at Shelly Robbins. So that's where you'd be able to find me at. I've been watching your TikTok. Yeah? Yeah. You don't follow me. I don't. I don't think so. I think because I see your TikTok videos on Instagram. <laughs> yeah. That's why. I just go on TikTok uh, for, uh, yeah. for laughs and giggles. Yeah. But your stuff is really good. Thank you. I think, I don't think, I know you're really going to impact somebody. Like somebody needs to hear what you've been through. You're doing a good job of sharing that message. Thank you. I appreciate yeah. it. I just want to be transparent, hopefully help somebody along the way. Absolutely. You're doing great. Thank you. Well, folks, that is another episode of Vulnerable Moments, the podcast. We are out. Peace.